Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. And I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning, so don't be alarmed, but I need a volunteer from the audience, preferably a child or a younger youth that needs to come up on stage. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a hand already from Josiah over there. Josiah, why don't you come up here and you can be a volunteer, okay? So let's give Josiah a hand, first of all, because it takes a lot of courage for a, a little somebody to come up here. So Josiah, you didn't know what you were getting into when you came up here, but... Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to blindfold you, okay? So don't try this at home, parents. Um, and I'm going to make sure, I'm going to trust you, Josiah, that you can't see. Okay, so you've got to tell me. Is that too tight? No. Okay, can you see anything? No. You can't see anything. So how many fingers am I holding up? Two. Okay. <laughs> how about now? Three. Okay, okay, you can't see. So good. Okay, so what I want you to do, Josiah, is I want you to try to walk across this stage and get to that door over there, okay? So can you do that? Okay, there's something there. I'm not going to help you. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. I'm going to make sure. Okay. Okay, now, I want you... Okay, keep going. You're good. Okay. Now, there's a door right there. What I want you to do is I want you to try to open... Keep going. I want you to try to open that door, okay? So open the door as hard as you can. Come on now, you got to open the door. Okay. So you can't open the door, can you? Yeah. And you can't see, can you? Okay, thanks a lot. You did a great job. <laughs> now you're all the way over here. All right, so you're probably wondering, what in the world does it have to do with anything? Somebody that can't see and somebody that can't enter into a, a door. And so the question I want to ask is, spiritually, in the spiritual realm... What are we talking about? Of somebody who's blind and somebody who can't open a door. So let me ask you a very important question this morning as we start John chapter 3. Are sinners, without Jesus in their lives, spiritually blind and so enslaved to their sins that in and of themselves they lack the ability to do anything about it? In other words, let me just ask you a very simple question. Can we as sinners save ourselves? Can we do anything to get ourselves out of the predicament of sin? Can any of us cleanse ourselves, wash ourselves, renew ourselves in such a way that we can be acceptable to God? And the answer is no. None of us here can do that in and of ourselves. And so there's a doctrine that the Bible teaches that says that every single person that's born comes into this world blinded, enslaved, guilty, and helpless. That we're all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says this, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for good. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
And notice the comprehensive nature of that statement. There's nobody on planet earth that does good. There's nobody that's righteous. There's nobody that, that, that seeks after God. All of us have become, become evil. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you thought that was bad, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul gives five descriptions of what a person without Jesus looks like. He says, number one, you're spiritually dead. Number two, you're enslaved to Satan. Number three, you're enslaved to your flesh. Number four, you're enslaved to the world. And number five, you're guilty before God. And he says it's like everybody, like the rest of mankind. And so the Bible is very clear that there is this comprehensive, stark reality that every single person born in this world comes into this world spiritually dead, spiritually lost, spiritually blind, spiritually incapable of doing anything to save ourselves. Which leads to a huge answer to this question of this predicament. Since this is true, that every single person is spiritually unable to save themselves, what has to happen? What is needed to overcome this spiritual problem? And the Bible gives a very simple answer. You must be born again. You must be born again. Now we come to one of the most famous passages in John chapter 3. This whole teaching on being born again. And sometimes in our culture, this whole terminology of being born again has kind of been hijacked. Uh, some people, we, we kind of use this term in a kind of pejorative or negative sense. That guy's a born again Christian. And like being born again is a bad thing. Let me just ask you a question. Is there any such Christian who's not born again? It's a redundancy to say a born again Christian because there's no such thing as a Christian, true Christian, who's not been born again. So when we use the word born again Christian, we're actually being redundant. I don't know if you've thought about that. I know what people are saying, but every Christian, if you're truly saved, you are born again. So you are a born again Christian. So before we get to this passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, what I want to do is I want to take us back to the Old Testament because we do not know our Old Testament as well as the original audience did. And so when you go back to the book of Ezekiel, and God makes a promise in the book of Ezekiel of something He's going to do in a future age when the Messiah would come. And you hear this in Ezekiel chapter 36 25 through 27. So I want you to pay attention to what God promises to do in Ezekiel's time. This is God speaking. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of Flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice that God's the one that's doing this. God says, I'm going to do this. 
And two big things God says he's going to do. Number one, God's going to cleanse his people. He's going to sprinkle us with water. And that's not talking about baptism. That's a, a spiritual cleansing that God promises to do. And number two, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out this heart of stone, this dead stony heart, and I'm going to replace it with a new heart. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you. So I'm going to cleanse you with water, and I'm going to give you a new heart with the Holy Spirit. This is none other than the teaching that we call regeneration. That's a big fancy word that sometimes theologians use, regeneration, but it comes from two words. Let me just explain to you what the words mean. Re, again, a second time, generate or genesis to be born. So regeneration just simply means to be born again. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. This whole idea of being born again. Now, with this prophecy from Ezekiel ringing in your ears, that God's going to cleanse us, He's going to put a new heart within us, He's going to give the Holy Spirit to us, I want us to now go to John chapter 3 and read this account between Jesus and Nicodemus. And hopefully it will make sense. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to them, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's one main point from this passage of Scripture. It's very obvious because Jesus says it over and over again. Here's the main point of this entire passage of Scripture. You desperately need to experience this spiritual transformation of being born again. And I use the term desperately. You and I desperately need to experience this transformation of being born again. And what we see Jesus teach in this passage of Scripture are three key truths about what it means to be born again. Now, I don't want to just gloss over this passage of scripture because we are evangelical Christians we hear the term born again all the time and sometimes when you hear this terminology you can just kind of tune off and say you know he's talking about being born again what I want to really do is what does Jesus say here about the importance of being born again he he gives us three key truths about this 
Here's truth number one. Your spiritual blindness and slavery to sin prove your desperate need to be born again. Your spiritual blindness and your slavery to sin prove your desperate need to be born again. We're introduced to Nicodemus. He is what they call a ruler of the Jews. He's probably a religious leader. Verse 10 says he is the teacher of Israel. And many scholars believe he may have been the top Old Testament scholar of his day that knew the Old Testament stories. He's high up in the, in the religious elite. He is a, a power broker, if you will, as far as the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he comes to Jesus at night. Now, we're not really sure why he comes to Jesus at night. There's, there's probably maybe a fear that he has of getting caught, a fear that he has of maybe being exposed. We really don't know why he comes to Jesus at night. But oftentimes in the Gospel of John, there's more symbolism going on under the surface. The fact that Jesus come, or Nicodemus comes at night probably is more of a metaphor for his spiritual condition. He's coming at night because he's blind. He's in darkness, and he needs to be born again. So physically, he's coming, literally, he's coming at night to visit Jesus, but there may be this symbolism that he is someone who's in the dark, someone who's spiritually blind, and he himself needs to be born again. And so he greets Jesus with some pleasantries. He says, you know, Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, verse 2, from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. That's very important the way the original language is worded here. Because when Nicodemus says to Jesus, I know that no one can do, that word in the original language really means no one has the ability. No one has the power or ability to do these things that you do. And so what we need to understand is this is the, this is the real key issue of this passage of Scripture. This, this word, no one has the ability, no one can do. What, what Nicodemus is saying to Jesus is, you have an ability, you have a power to do something. And yet Jesus is going to flip it on Nicodemus and say, that's right. But you, as a sinner, lack the power, lack the ability to do something unless you're born again. And we're going to see that happen. And so notice what he says here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, we're going to be introduced to this terminology, truly, truly, I say to you. In the Greek text, it's amen, amen. It's this repetition of Jesus saying, truly, truly, amen, amen. It's really, he's about to say something important. And so when he says amen or amen or truly, truly, or I, I tell you the truth, we're supposed to, to perk up and listen because what he's about to say is important. And so what does he tell Nicodemus? Right there in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see. Now, the terminology there says he must be born again. Unless one is born again. Some translations say born from above. It can be both, both things. In other words, there needs to be a spiritual birth. And notice what he tells Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And that word cannot there in the original language means, Nicodemus, you lack the ability. You lack the power. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see the, the reign of Christ. You cannot see your need for salvation. You cannot see it, Nicodemus. 
And the question we've got to ask, just like Josiah was walking around on the stage blind, why can't Nicodemus see? The very simple answer is he's blind. Not physically, but he's spiritually blind to the truth. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 through 6, about this spiritual blindness. He's talking about what Satan does to unbelievers. He's talking about unbelievers. He says, in their case, the God of this world, that's, that's Satan, that's the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Seeing what? The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, first thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus is you're spiritually blind. You cannot see. You lack the ability to even see your need. And the second thing he says is you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Nicodemus is a little confused at this point, isn't he? What's he thinking about? Jesus, that's a really strange metaphor. I'm a grown man. How can I crawl back up into my mother's womb and be born a second time? He's thinking biologically, right? Is it a biological a reality or possibility that anybody here can be born again? Hopefully you're saying, no, yeah, Sharon, no. Yeah, I'm talking, yeah, she, she's paying attention. No, we can't be born again physically, biologically. So Jesus is not talking about physical birth. He's talking about spiritual birth. And he says to Nicodemus, you can't even see. But then Jesus takes it one step further, a second time. There in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, the second time, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter. Now, the first time it was he cannot see. Jesus changes it the second time and says you cannot even enter. You lack the ability to enter. You can't open the door. And so as a spiritually dead person, you can't see and you can't open your way to God. You're dead. You're blind. You're lost. You lack the ability. You lack the power. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in John 8, 34, Jesus says this, another truly, 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 I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. A lost person without Jesus Christ is spiritually blind, they're spiritually enslaved, they're spiritually guilty, and they lack the ability to do anything to undo that in and of themselves. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We, we were slaves. So what Jesus is teaching here is he's saying, listen, Nicodemus, you've got a major problem. You're spiritually blind and you're spiritually enslaved. And because of that, you're helpless. So something needs to happen to you. You have to be born again. You have to be regenerated. And here he, he changes it a little bit. Notice what he says there in verse 5. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, before he said, you must be born again, he changes and says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. This is not talking about baptism. This alludes directly back to what we just saw in the Ezekiel passage. What did God say to Ezekiel he was going to do? I'm going to cleanse you with water, 
and I'm going to put my spirit in you. So that's a direct allusion back to this Ezekiel passage where God promises to change hearts. So when you think about it, they're all saying the same thing. They're just saying it from a different vantage point. Paul actually ties this whole idea of washing, of being born again, of being regenerated. He, he, he links it all together in Titus. He actually uses the word. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How did He do this? By the washing. You see the wording there? By the washing of what? Regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So Ezekiel's saying the same thing. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Paul's saying the same thing. You've got to experience this renewal of the Spirit, this regeneration. Jesus is saying the same thing. You must be born again. What it is, it's a comprehensive transformation that must take place in your life. Your heart of stone must be replaced with a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit must come and do this work of being born again. So the first thing we see here is that we're spiritually blind without Jesus. We're spiritually lost. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And this just proves our need to be born again. Because Jesus says it over and over again. Unless you're born again, you can't see. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter. So this, this spiritual blindness, this spiritual deadness, this spiritual inability prevents us from seeing or entering the kingdom of heaven. So we must be born again. So that's issue number one. Here's issue number two. It makes it even harder. Jesus is like compounding the problem over and over again. Here's what he says, the second thing. Because of your sin, you cannot possibly cause yourself to be born again. Now, if it hadn't been painfully obvious by now that we're spiritually blind, we're spiritually dead without Jesus, we, we can't enter. Notice what verse 6 says. Jesus makes it crystal clear in verse 6. Notice what he says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What's he saying there? He's basically saying in your physical birth, your parents came together and, and they had you physically. B flesh gives birth to flesh. Your mom gave birth to you physically. But if you're going to be spiritually reborn, if you're going to experience this heart transplant, if you're going to be experience this transformation, another person can't do it for you. You can't do it for you. The Holy Spirit must do it for you. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So let me just ask yourself a question. Can one, if you're spiritually blind, can you cause yourself to see? If you're spiritually enslaved, can you free yourself out of prison? If you're spiritually dead, can you raise yourself to new life? Do you have the power in and of yourself to do this? And the answer is no. Only the Holy Spirit can give you this new birth. Listen to the wording that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did God do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Who makes who alive? Does the text say you made yourself alive? The text says God made you alive. With his great mercy, with his great grace, by grace he saved you. He took you when you were spiritually dead and he made you alive. Spirit gives birth to spirits. In verse 7, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? 
Literally, he says, stop being surprised at this, Nicodemus. Stop being surprised. Don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He basically says to Nicodemus, don't act like this is some new teaching. Don't act like you haven't read the Old Testament, Nicodemus. This has been promised. I promised it in Ezekiel. I promised it all throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in, in Jeremiah 33, I mean Jeremiah 31, 33, God promises the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so what Jesus tells Nicodemus is stop being surprised as if this is some new teaching. It's not. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. You've got to be born again, and you can't do it. The Spirit must be the one to give you birth. Because you're spiritually dead, you're spiritually lost, you're spiritually blind, you spiritually can't do it. Which leads to the third truth this morning, which should be painfully obvious by now. Here's the third truth. Only the Holy Spirit can sovereignly cause you to be born again. Jesus will explain it using a metaphor. Notice what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we live in northeastern Colorado, do we not? Is it a windy place out here? How many of you want to go out there and just say, wind, stop? Wouldn't you like that to happen? Wind, calm down. Wind, just listen to me. How would you like to like, stand out there and just like, stop the wind with your body? None of us can do that, can we? Why can we not do that? Because wind is what? It's powerful, and it's got a mind of its own. You can't just go control the wind. No matter how great a meteorologist is out there, you know, meteorologists have weird jobs, don't they? They get paid to be wrong all the time. They can sit there and tell you about the weather. Now, in northeastern Colorado, when it's going to be windy, we know it's going to be windy. The problem is you can't control the wind. The wind's going to come. The wind's going to blow. The wind's got a mind of its own. You don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going, but you can see the effects of the wind. You know when it's windy. You can feel it. You can see it, but you can't control it. And Jesus says that's exactly what it's like of a person who's born again. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. Do you realize that the word for wind and spirit in the Old Testament and New Testament is almost the same word? It's a play on words here. Ruach. It sounds like wind, doesn't it? That's the Hebrew word for wind. It's also the Hebrew word for spirit. Ruach. Numa is the word for wind and the word for spirit. And so it's almost a play on words. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is like the wind blowing. And Jesus says to him, you can't control the Holy Spirit. You don't know when the Holy Spirit's coming or when he's going. And if anybody's going to be born again, the Spirit's got to blow life into that person. The Holy Spirit's got to come like the wind, come in power and raise that person to life. Now, the Old Testament does give us another picture of this. Another picture from Ezekiel. Do you remember the, the, the vision in Ezekiel 37 of the Valley of Dry Bones? You guys remember that story? Ezekiel the prophet's taken out to this field and he sees a, it's like a huge graveyard. He sees a bunch of bones. They're dead, they're dry, they're parched, they're rotting. And God takes him on this field trip, on this object lesson, and says to Ezekiel, Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel doesn't want to answer the question. He says, I really don't know, God, only you know. And then God asks Ezekiel to do something really strange. God says, Hey, Ezekiel, I want you to preach a sermon to those bones. Does it make any sense? to preach a message to dead 
bones. It doesn't make any sense, but Ezekiel does it because he believes God, and God promises to do something. God says, listen, when you begin to preach to the dead bones, I'm going to bring them to life. And how am I going to bring them to life? The wind's going to blow. Listen, listen to what it happens in Ezekiel chapter 37, 4 through 6. Then he said to me, that's God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy or preach over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Does it make any sense to speak to, to dead bones to hear? No. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath, Numa, Hurak, spirit, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. It's this whole image of, of spiritually dead bones coming to life because God breathes life into them. It's the same thing with you and me. We are spiritually blind. We are spiritually dead. We are spiritually enslaved. If you think about it, before Christ, you're a spiritual graveyard. You're dead. And the Holy Spirit has got to come and blow life into you. And when he does that, guess what you do? You come to life. You get a new heart. You're regenerated. God gives you a spirit within you, the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus is still baffled. He, he still doesn't quite understand what's going on. Look at verse 9. How can these things be? And Jesus kind of rebukes him. What does he say to him in verse 10? Are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He's basically saying, listen, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. Did you not read Ezekiel? You should have known this. This was prophesied if you had really studied your scripture. Go back to chapter 1 for a moment. The prologue, again, we keep going back to the prologue because it introduces a lot of these themes. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. We've, we've kind of briefly looked at this, but notice what, what John is writing at the very beginning. In chapter 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, listen to the word there, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. But how were you born? You were born of God. So when the Holy Spirit comes like the wind and blows into the life of a dead sinner, there's life. There's a new heart. A heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. There's regeneration. There's this whole being born again. Now this is where it becomes very important for you. You've got to think about your response to this. This is where it gets a little difficult. You must be born again. It's a command, but you can't cause yourself to be born again. You must be born again, but the Holy Spirit's sovereign like the wind. You must be born again, but you're spiritually dead and you're spiritually blind. W what am I supposed to do here? Do I sit around and wait to be zapped by the Holy Spirit? What do you do? Don't ask me how to reconcile God's sovereignty with human responsibility in the Bible, but we see both side by side. Spurgeon said you can't reconcile friends. Human responsibility and, 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 and God's sovereignty are friends in the Bible, and they come together. Can't always explain how, but I want to show you here what you must do. If you're not born again, and you can't control it, and the Holy Spirit's got to do it, what's the one thing you can do? Jesus tells us, you look to the Savior who was lifted up on the cross. You simply look to the Savior on the cross. Right on the heels of telling Nicodemus he must be born again, Jesus gives another story from the Old Testament. Back to Numbers chapter 21. 
And again, we don't understand our Old Testament. We don't read our Old Testament. We may have forgotten the story. But let me tell you the story about Numbers chapter 21. Israel was complaining. They're in the wilderness. They're wandering. They're complaining against Moses. They're complaining that they don't have good enough food as if God doesn't you know, give them manna and quail every day. They're complaining. They're complaining. And basically they say, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. And so God does something as an act of judgment. God sends fiery serpents, snakes, poisonous snakes within the camp, and the, and the snakes start biting people. And the people get all freaked out, like, oh, no, we're, we're, we're sinning here. Moses, go pray for us that God would stop the snakes. And so let's pick up the story in Numbers chapter 21, verses 7 through 9. Can I just ask that we keep the distractions to a minimum during the worship service? We have a lot of people getting up, a lot of people leaving, and it's getting to be a distraction. Is that okay? Do I have the authority to say that this morning? Thank you. All right, Numbers chapter 21, 7 through 9. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now this is very weird, isn't it? God tells Moses, I want you to make a serpent of bronze, stick it up on a pole. And if anybody gets bitten, all they have to simply do is what? Look, it's interesting. What does God say not to do? God doesn't say, get out your rakes and start killing the snakes. God doesn't say, you know, let's get a magic potion here so we all drink it. God doesn't swallow the snakes up in the earth. God doesn't require the Israelites really to do anything except for look up. When you see the snake on the pole, you will live. So here's the simple thing. Seeing equals salvation. And once they looked up at the pole, they looked up at the snake, they were healed. They didn't have the poison in them anymore. And notice how Jesus equates that to himself. Look at verse 14. Jesus alludes to this very story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, here's the point, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus must be lifted up. Well, that's obviously talking about the cross. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross. It can also mean Jesus will be lifted up out of the grave, the resurrection. It can also mean Jesus will be lifted back up to heaven in the ascension. No matter how you look at it, it's the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. He says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what's the only way to have eternal life? It's believing in Jesus. It's looking to Jesus. It's seeing Jesus high and lifted up. Just like the Israelites were not told to do anything, to save themselves except for to look, in the same way, you and I aren't told to do anything to save ourselves. We're not told to clean our act up. We're not told to do good deeds. We're not told to go to church. We're not told to get baptized. We're not told to to try to obey the Ten Commandments, try to, to give to the poor. There's not a list here of what Jesus tells us to do in order to get saved. The only thing he tells us to do is what? Believe. And remember that little preposition we've been looking at every week? Believe into him. Believe into him. 
plunge your entire life into him. Look to him. When you see Jesus high and lifted up on the cross, when you see Jesus in all of his glory, when you see Jesus with his outstretched arms ready to save you by his blood, and you see the empty tomb, and you see Christ lifted up, what's the response? You look and you believe. And the Bible says whoever does that is saved. Now how does that relate to being born again? Well, if you're believing, if you're seeing, if you're trusting, that's strong evidence that you've been born again. That's strong evidence that the Holy Spirit has come and breathed life into you. That's evidence that you've been regenerated. In other words, if you fully come to trust Christ for salvation, and you're believing in Him, and you're trusting in Him, God has regenerated you. He's taken the blinders off your eyes. He's freed you from the prison cell. So here's the the ultimate question this morning. Do you want Jesus? Do you want Him? If you're here this morning and you want Jesus as your Savior, and you desire Jesus as your Lord, and you're truly seeking Him and wanting Him and desiring Him, and it's making sense to you, and you're at that point of surrender where you know that you're a sinner and you need to trust Christ for salvation, and you need to believe in Him and place all your faith in Him, if you want that this morning, if that describes you this morning, then guess what? It could be very strong evidence that the Holy Spirit's blown into your life this morning. He's raised you from spiritual deadness. He's given you eyes to see, and you're looking to Jesus. So would you come to him this morning? Would you look to him this morning? For many of us in this room, we've already done that. We've looked to Jesus for salvation. We've been born again. But don't ever get over the fact that you've been born again. You were once spiritually dead. You were once spiritually blessed. Think about this image of Josiah walking. How many of that would describe you at one point in your life? You're you're walking blind through life. You're trying to open doors and they're locked. No matter what you try, your your barricaded entrance, you've you've got a load of guilt on your back. You you were in that state of spiritual deadness and spiritual lostness and, and spiritual enslavement. And just praise the Lord that he broke you out of that prison cell and gave you his Holy Spirit and gave you salvation. You should never get over the fact that you are a born again Christian. And there is no other such thing as but a born-again Christian. You should never get over the fact that the Holy Spirit chose to blow life into you and give you new life. And at one time, you saw the Savior and you lived because you saw him high and lifted up. Thank Jesus for his amazing grace and being lifted up on the cross, being lifted up out of the tomb, and being lifted back up to heaven so you could have eternal life. There's an old hymn that we don't often sing But I think it describes this transformation. It's by Charles Wesley. Can I um, give lyrics from a good Methodist here in a Baptist church? An Arminian Methodist, Charles Wesley. And can it be, listen to to the hymn. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed thee. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, that explains every single one of us what we've experienced. God came to us in our prison cell. He broke the chains of sin. He blew the Holy Spirit in our life. And what did we do? We saw the Savior, we rose up, and we followed Jesus. And that's my prayer for every single person in this room this morning, 
that you have been born again, that you have seen Jesus high and lifted up, and that you have believed in him, and your chains have fallen off, and you're following him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And there may be some in this room that have never truly looked to the Savior. You've never truly believed into Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to this Savior. You've never experienced this transformation of what it means to be born again. You've never had your heart replaced. And only you know who you are. I can't look into your hearts. I can't look into your mind. Only God can. But you know here this morning in the depth of your heart, in your heart of hearts, when it's just you and God alone, you know your condition before the living God. So would you cry out in mercy for him to save you? Would you look to the Savior? Would you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And when you, when you look to Jesus and you come to him in faith, you will find his arms wide open as the perfect Savior to receive you and save you and forgive you and give you this new heart and give you this new birth. So would you spend some time alone in the few moments we have together going before your Lord? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come and died and were lifted up on the cross. You were lifted up in shame. You were lifted up in brutality. You were lifted up in blood on that cross so that we could look to you and live. That we could look to you and find forgiveness. That we can believe into you, we can plunge our entire lives into you and find this forgiveness. And Jesus, you were lifted up out of the tomb three days later. And then you were lifted up to heaven in the ascension. And that's where you are right now, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father. And in your power and your grace, you've sent the Holy Spirit back down. And Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you're the one who causes us to be born again. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the one who gives us the new birth. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you blow like the wind into the lives of us who are lost and you bring us to life. And it's all possible because of Jesus being lifted up in the first place. And so, Lord, I know that I can't control anything in this place this morning, so I have to trust that the wind would blow. And Holy Spirit, would you blow this morning? Not because I can control you, but because you're sovereign and you desire to save lost people. Would many in this room look to Christ? Would many in this room have new hearts? Would many in this room come to faith for the very first time in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And for those of us that are saved, Lord, help us never get over the fact that you caused us to be born again. That we're out of the prison cell. Our blinders are off. We have a new heart. We have, our heart of stone's been replaced with the heart of flesh. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. We've been made new. We've been washed. May we live in the joy of that. May we live in the power of that. For the glory of King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.